Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I'm joined by Andy Gramuga, Emilio Diaz. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a new release uh, for what feels like the first time in a little while, uh, The Nest, the new Sean Durkin movie. Uh, we're also going to talk about his previous movie, which is also his debut, uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene. And joining us, we have the co-host of the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, Chris File. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. We're, we're so excited to have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, I guess, do we want to, Chris, I mean... We sometimes ask our guests this. Um, we're a film festival podcast. Uh, yeah. I know you have covered film festivals yeah. uh, in the past. Can you tell us a little bit about like, yeah, your experience with film festivals and your film festival history? I mean, my film festival history is pretty TIFF-centric, which we mm-hmm. uh, go into in uh, sometimes ludicrous detail on my podcast. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that's a pretty specific festival but also a huge festival mm-hmm. um but it's also in like one of my favorite cities i've ever been to in my life mm-hmm. everyone there is so nice um yeah. yeah i mean i of course this year couldn't go and i got to experience it virtually which was very strange and very odd um it's very um different Going to uh, finger quotes press screenings of movies where the escalator mm. doesn't break on your way to uh, <laughs> your screening, um, yeah. and also you're not surrounded by thousands of people, and it's just you in your robe watching uh, something, having a world premiere on your computer, um, right? But no, I mean, TIFF's really cool. They call it the People's Festival, so it does feel very democratic when you're there. Uh, I mean, like if you're part of the press corps that's there um, doing press screenings, like you still feel like you can meet a lot of people and like have conversations about what you've seen, what you can recommend. But also if you're seeing uh, things with the public, you can be surrounded by a ton of people, meet really great people and like get cool suggestions for things that might not be on your radar. Um, This movie we're talking about today, obviously we're talking about it at Cannes, but like it debuted at Sundance and Sundance, like I'm sure I'll be there eventually, but it just seems uh, terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, the the the, like the weather alone and like navigating all that. And yeah, boy, figuring out we've heard both both opinions on Sundance. We've heard like, oh, it's so hard. It's it's freezing. And then we've also heard like, ah, it's the best. There's all the critics are hanging out and it's so much fun. Well, and I've also heard that people are like stoned half of the time, but they're also (laughs) soaked and freezing the rest of the time. So (laughs) I don't know. I can handle cold weather, but it also just sounds like everybody sounds like it is. Um, just so frantic and uh, mm-hmm. uh, disorganized somewhat. Um, so I'm used to my pretty uh, manageable schedule, I guess. Right. 
how this is maybe a, a very like some people might resent this question as, as, as coming from people who've gone to film uh film festivals a lot but how many screenings do you usually fit in at tiff i mean i uh i i always overextend myself and then i pay for it by my brain completely crashing uh i mm-hmm. try to do three sometimes four there were there was a few like days back to back where i did four um and it was just absolutely too much and like especially if you're yeah. covering the festival you have to write about the festival right. it it serves nothing and no one for you to uh go past your limit but I, i've done mm-hmm. it Never done a mm-hmm. five movie day though. It's been possible. I'm an old person mm-hmm. and I cannot uh, do midnight <laughs> yeah. movies. Yeah, I think yeah. One time I did a five movie day and I was definitely dozing off during the last one. Right, right. Not, yeah, right. it was. And that's not what you're there to do too. So it's right. just like you you should cut your losses yeah. and uh, give yourself the sleep you need. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that sleep comes during Baccarat. <laughs> oh no! You <laughs> fell asleep during that? No. I did. Oh, it's so I, I good. Did, yeah. Oh no! I, I have seen it since. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's the thing too. Is like you can go, and if you overextend yourself, you can see something that you know you'll love, and you're just not. Uh, you're not right, in the place yeah. for it. Yeah. Maybe the ultimate story of that of me watching a hidden life and then back to back watching waves and then having to watch Parasite afterwards and fell asleep through half of Parasite. That's a long day. Yeah, you can see a lot of uh, long movies back to back. Though I will say one of the yeah. like things that I do absolutely love um, during festival time is you can absolutely be seeing a movie at eight in the morning. And I, who I am very yes. much a morning uh-huh. person, uh, I love that. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah, the early morning screenings. Yeah, they're great. I, I like the them, too. I watch Widows at 8 a.m., one year that was a blast that's awesome yeah, I, watched, I watched i think the the first movie i ever saw at tiff was uh ray and liz at 8 a.m and i think that might also be the only 8 a.m movie i've seen there. oh did it not go well for you <laughs> yeah i'm not a morning person generally though i'm maybe working on yeah. that uh but yeah the um yeah the the weirdly like the waiting in line in the morning I feel like is much better too because like you just like get to stand there with your like warm beverage or whatever. Oh, you know and what? That's right. I did. I woke up much earlier because we all rushed knives oh, right. out. Yeah, when we when we did knives out, and that got was there a, at like six a.m. or whatever <laughs> to, to make the rush line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we move on to the movies? Yep. Um. So we're gonna start. We're gonna go chronologically. So we'll start with Martha Marcy May Marlene. Jesse, do you have any background information on yeah, this one I do. for us? So it premiered at Sundance. Uh, did it win something there? That I'm forgetting. Uh, but then it played. I'm trying to rack my brain of if it. I think it played Uncertain Regard. It did. Okay. Yes, that's right. I was the reason I was getting confused between uh, a certain regard and director's fortnight is I think I remember hearing a lot of rumors, both this year when can looked like it might happen, but even last year that the nest might be doing uh, director's fortnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and Durkin won best directing at Sundance okay. in 2011. Sure. Um, and then it also played TIFF. It looks like. That sounds right. I think it was a pretty 
late-ish 2011 release. Yeah. I think like so October-ish, yeah. or maybe it was... It was definitely before Thanksgiving, because this was shortly <laughs> after I was in... Uh, college where well, I was in a much smaller city than I am now and it thinks it would take like mm-hmm. a full mm-hmm. month, month and a half to get to me okay, and I think yes, I saw it, it was, right before Thanksgiving. It was October. Yeah. yeah it was the, the first rollout date. It was the 21st. I would assume that was New York and LA. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So what's everyone's history? I, ha- I hadn't seen it until like the run up to this so until we were preparing for this episode. I, I know everyone else has seen it before then. Yeah, I go ahead, Amelia. I thought like a year ago, and I, I like enjoyed it a lot. I've been thinking about it a lot. I forgot to rewatch it for this time, but I have a pretty clear picture in my head of what it is, Jesse. I I can tell you it was a little under two years ago because I remember right around the Oscars in 2019. I don't think this is one of the movies that I watched during the Oscars. I did watch a number of 2011 movies during the 2019 Oscars is kind of uh, the beginning of my like uh, catching up on decade stuff. Uh, I believe that was the year where I said I will not watch the Oscars if Bohemian Rhapsody gets a uh, a Best Picture nomination. (laughs) So instead I watched like shame and uncle boon me who can recall his past lives but in that same week i watched this movie and yeah also a movie that i really like uh i was obsessed with this movie when it came out i remember when the trailer came out the trailer itself is terrifying i remember the following the sundance buzz for it knowing that fox searchlight picked it up and like that was a big deal because this is also the era Mm. of fox searchlight making a ton of money on their movies Mm -hmm. like they Mm -hmm. won for slumdog and turned slumdog into a hundred million dollar movie they turned juno into a hundred million dollar movie so it felt like this was going to be a big thing so i was really uh anticipatory of this movie i remember when the posters came out which now the posters are hilarious because they're those little scan code things like it was the moment where (laughs) people had picture they had cameras on their phones so it's like you can go and like scan the poster to Martha Marcy May Marlene and get (laughs) like footage on your phone like that was going to be a huge thing (laughs) right um, until you have it to go viral uh, yeah yeah, an actual (laughs) web browser on your phone Um, so yeah better posters exist than this than the little uh, Q scan thing whatever it's called Um, but yeah I love this movie and I um uh, since have been a huge not defender because I don't feel like people really say negative things about this movie but like a proponent for Elizabeth Olsen in this movie Sarah Paulson mm-hmm. in this movie um, and ever since I've been so excited for whatever Sean Durkin would do his follow up film for so I was following The Nest for a while and really excited mm-hmm. for yeah. The Nest um, yeah I love this movie I watched it again in quarantine which like uh watching this movie in quarantine is a whole other <laughs> paranoid experience mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I watched it as recently as this year yeah yeah and it holds I, up it holds up mm-hmm. for sure uh-huh i'm trying to think because i i guess this must have been the movie that kind of turned me around 
on Elizabeth Olsen, or you know what? It might have been Ingrid Goes West, even though I don't like that movie. That oh, I, that and Wind River. I was like, oh, I don't like these movies, but she's good in <laughs> she's them. She's spectacular uh, in Ingrid Goes West. Yes. She's playing this impossible character, um, and makes it really interesting and funny, I, but like not pushing for the joke. There was. Yeah, there was definitely a while where I thought that I didn't like her, but that was just because the first two movies I saw her in was the Godzilla movie where she had nothing to do, and then that awful Josh Radner movie that she was in, which is, I guess, the year after <laughs> Liberal this. arts? Is yes. that liberal arts? Yeah, yeah. No, not that Happy Think You arts. More, please? Not the other one? I don't think no. she's in no. Happy Think You More, I please. I think Marin Ireland, not Marin Ireland, um, oh. Malin Ackerman's in that movie. Right. I didn't. Yeah, it's weird that you've seen a Josh Radner movie, Jesse. I mean, I've not seen. (laughs) I have not seen all of a Josh Radner movie. I've seen some of a Josh Radner movie. Um. Yeah. uh, This was. Yeah. This was my first time watching it. Was in preparation for this. Was and and yeah, I really loved it. Uh, I think. Yeah. You know the. Just like structurally, it was so good to to be like to to really see the confidence of like the flashbacks and when mm-hmm. the story elements are revealed and all that, uh, and really like the the way that it handles like obviously Elizabeth Olsen is great, Eliza, um, um, obviously uh, Sarah Paulson is great. There's like a lot of great performances, but the 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 way it handles the John Hawks character, mm-hmm. I was like so taken with like the way that it's able to depict like his weird charisma and like when he, and and how scary it is able to make him by the end. Uh, I was just like really blown away by his performance and the way that the movie handled that character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing, speaking of performances, Andy sent a phrase to the group chat this afternoon that I just find to be a, a baffling phrase. I don't know what to make of it. You said, I can't wait to talk about the Dancy Law Venn diagram. <laughs> what is this Venn diagram? Oh, I don't, just between the two movies of like weird British guys who are like roughly the same type uh, in, in both these movies. I thought it was interesting. Like, and they both like yell a lot. And so I was I like, this so. is like, it's interesting to compare these two performances, especially like watching the movies in such close proximity oh, okay. to each that, other. That makes more sense. So you're saying there is a Venn diagram in which they are in the middle of. Well, it, which uh, at, like there's there's oh, no, m- so you many are doing what I thought. Which elements is you're of saying the characters. There's a Venn diagram where, yes, one side is law <laughs> and one side <laughs> is dancey. And, right. there's things and like that the, are middle in the middle is like British yells, like those sorts of things. <laughs> and okay, then, so like, then what are the things that aren't in the middle? I don't know. Yeah, I, that's what I, you know, I wanted to get into it. I mean, like uh, dancey, I guess you have like he um, is like very interested in domestic life right and he like really wants that and is like invested in 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 his in his specifically in his marriage and all that stuff and then um i i think law you have a little bit more of the yeah the the, like the materialism and the and the and the appearances and all that although i guess some of that is in dancy as well because like i yeah he he seemed he i guess he's relatively well off also, I don't know. I'm I'm really like thinking on my feet with these. Like I, you know, I I, sure. I rewatched. I had watched both the movies like in like the last month or two, and then I just put them on in the background today just to refresh myself. And it like is a thought that occurred to me uh, as I was watching them. As this is like, oh, Hugh Dancy is also yelling Britishly, just like Jude Law did in in The Nest. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> okay. Sorry for confusing I, you, Jesse. <laughs> no, you've you've clarified what you mean. I think I I I'm no longer confused. That's good. They're both also trying to keep control of situations that they really don't have any control in. Uh, like right. obviously Jude Law is actively making the situation in the nest worse, but you could also mm-hmm. argue that Hugh Dancy mm-hmm. is. Uh, exacerbating the tensions uh, in Martha Marcy May Marlene as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like the ultimate thing, like, uh, yeah, that I feels like ties these two movies together, I guess, jumping a little bit ahead. We probably still have more to say about Martha Marcy May Marlene before we move yeah, on. To I mean, this, we but can, then, you know, yeah, we can jump couple, back and forth. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that like, yeah, it's about like, you know, examining like the idea of the family and the idea of like a family that doesn't really know how to communicate. Right. Uh, doesn't really know how to, how to talk to each other or share what's going on with each other. Uh, obviously in one case, that's maybe a little more understandable and explainable because one of the people has been in a, in a cult for several, for, for an extended period of time. Uh, and the, and in the other one, it's just like two people who like aren't talking to each other because they're married and it's the eighties and I don't know, but, um, uh, the, but yeah, I mean, that's like sort of the interesting thing is like, yeah, his examination of family and the way that that it is sort of a um, the, you know, the outside appearances versus the the inside work that needs to be done in those families and and whether it is happening or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I guess the other thing, like Martha Marcy May Marlene to talk, I guess, a little bit more about that like the to go back to i guess talking a little bit more about um the john hawks character and i think so much about the scene with the in the woods with the with the gun right and john hawks standing there like and he is just like talking to as he calls her marcy may right and like is really like is using his words and his communication skills to really try to ingratiate himself into her and like the the way the language he uses of like how he is able to you know subtly and not so subtly present himself as like such an important figure in her life and and someone that she needs to depend on um i think yeah that that scene i think really looms large and when i think about like in comparison with the the when she is with Sarah Paulson and Hugh Dancy and she isn't able to uh and, and like and like no one there really knows how to communicate with each other in any way even for like necessary like manipulative purposes right and so like it's it's got John Hawks manipulating things and like using these skills for for evil and then there's no one who's able to use them for good really in in the in the other half of the movie where she's where she's on the run uh-huh yeah yeah i mean that's yeah i mean i i guess as far as talking about durkin who i i also really like generally i think what uh is like clearly really strong in both of these movies uh is i think he's got a really exacting sense of like pacing and structuring Mm -hmm. uh which, you know, you don't have the the flashback structure in the nest, but I think there is really, like, it's very specific about what you're seeing, like, how how much time has passed between each scene. It is, it's really interesting to, you know, 
the the way it deals with time, I guess, still, even though it's not doing any for back and forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I particularly like it in Martha, Martha, May, Marlene, because yeah. it manages like that movie is about a sort of unknowable person. It's sort of like everybody. Well, I guess more the Sarah Paulson, Hugh Dancy side trying to figure out how to deal with this person and how to help them through whatever they have gone through that they really can't ask or know about. And I think use, uh, the way that it uses its like flashback structure is very good in that it always it like g- provides context into like the sort of thing she goes fr- she is she went through, but also it does it, but it doesn't ever like answer questions about like, well, who is she and is this why she's responding to thing? Like it's not a full like like you watch an episode of like loss or whatever where that it we talk about loss every week on this goddamn podcast <laughs> <I swear. laughs> but you you watch an episode of loss that has that structure where it's like it has a flashback and the things happening in the present but and, but the point of the flashback is to like clarify something about the character about why they're doing something in the present and i think it's good that marcia marcy may marlene sort of manages to avoid that like it sort of it, again it provides like context as to what she went through it allows you to sort of understand the sort of circumstances she was living in a bit more but it's never like well the reason she thinks it's okay to skinny dip is because she tried to do this other skinny dipping back when she was in the cult or whatever it never is like that a to b and it allows you to play with like her sort of unknowability and the way that you think about the main character I kind of think it's also to the credit of Elizabeth Olsen's performance, too. Like, mm. that's never frustrating to watch. And it feels like we are watching somebody going through figuring out their own brain and their own impulses, which is not an easy thing for an actor to do and be compelling. Um because it's like it's never really even conclusive it ends rather bluntly and in a way that uh, (laughs) allows for a lot of different interpretations but um her screen presence um is just really interesting to watch how she kind of falls back into these behaviors these traumas that she's gone through the way that this cult has rewired her and like catch herself in the moment or like fall into a panic and not really realizing what's happening to her in her brain and her body um yeah like that's that's not an easy thing to do it's not necessarily like you're like you're saying like the connection of like why would she go skinny dipping or whatever like it's not the things that actually happen if you look at it probably in the script of like she does this she does that aren't as interesting maybe as the performance itself allows it to be like it gets really into the psychology of what it's like to leave an Mm -hmm. abusive cult environment where you they have completely brainwashed you and re hardwired Mm -hmm. your brain yeah and just like how much you can actively like the i think yeah the thing that's fascinating about the performance to me is like the dance between how much you actively see her like pushing stuff down and being like i'm not gonna talk about it i'm not gonna i'm gonna not try to think about it and like how much you often often don't necessarily see that and how much like her sort of like just like i'm like just getting through the day sort of attitude like you don't necessarily get a like you can sort of see why like Sarah Paulson and Hugh Dancy's first impulse isn't 
like, let's get you to a doctor and like get you checked out because like clearly something's wrong here. Right. She she starts doing these strange things, but they don't necessarily like jump right away to like the only thing we can do right now is like uh, get her help because she's been in a cult for whatever. And then, like, right. You understand why they do, why they don't jump to that conclusion. Well, and the actors do a really good job of establishing this dynamic that's not ever really fully fleshed out that uh, uh, Martha's maybe not troubled but there is an estrangement there that um yeah. isn't fully explained but um feels real mm-hmm. um and like the the relationship the dynamic between her and especially sarah paulson like mm-hmm. really sells us on this idea that they may not be able to tell right away what was going on and they may right. l- mm-hmm. just fall into this lie she tells them that she was with a bad boyfriend or whatever mm-hmm. right yeah, and it's like obviously there are like certain psychological elements movie uh, psychological elements to the movie, but it's not like a horror film straightforward in that it's not just like oh my god, what is happening to this lady? Is she gonna figure it out? Is she gonna go crazy and murder something? It manages to keep it all within the realm of like and a generally empathetic understanding that. I guess it's an empathetic misunderstanding of just being like, I don't, we don't know what this person is going on, but they are trying to figure it out. And this is sort of like a scary thing to go through. I mean, I like the movie. I like this movie a lot. Just like as a screenplay, I think it's great because of what you said about its structure. I think it's great, but I think it also does a good job, which is, this is something that I've come to appreciate more and more these days about screenplays and not just like in of like it gives the actors enough room to play what they need like it doesn't <laughs> it like every scene doesn't have to be like it moves a plot forward or there this is exactly what's happening and they, everybody needs to say this so people get it it manages to give like dancey does play the space what of what he needs to play paul said the space to play what he needs to play olsen the space to play what she needs to play and it a lot and it sort of trusts the you to like empathize and understand and be engaged by this, those sort of dynamics there, which like not to like skip over, but that is some of the issue I have with the nest. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, the nest is definitely more like verbose and like leans into these long scenes of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like both movies he writes his character well because even though they're in these heightened or like melodramatic situations they speak the way that people speak um Mm -hmm. like you know you would expect especially something like the nest to have a little bit more rosy language attached to it considering what the movie is and what it's about and it really Mm -hmm. doesn't i mean they speak to each other like normal people speak like this fight the fights between uh carrie coon and jude law feel really organic they don't feel like a george and martha um showdown ever Mm -hmm. um yeah i I mean that's i think there's the that is true and that i think yeah the language is pretty natural in the nest but i think my issue with the nest is that i I don't have any <laughs> word to describe my issue with it and, and apart from saying that it's it's like obvious is my problem with it i think it's a yeah, movie where I like i can kind of see that we're like 
every time there for a second you might be like oh what's going on here it's like the very next scene is people clearly saying what's going on here and it's like it's like oh what are the resentment building up and like no the next scene is going to be somebody saying exactly what resentment they have and exactly what resentment they don't have and not to get like too deep on the i mean we we go back and forth here but i think my prime example of that is like specifically with the law character the fact that that for his character the scene like outside of the bar with his friend the scene with the taxi driver and the scene with his mother all exist when i feel like you really need one of those but instead it has to make it has to like fully put it fist into you to for you to understand of like Mm -hmm. this guy wants you to think he's rich but he's not what a fraud he has daddy issues and it needs to solve literally everything about every single one of its characters and what i like about marcia marcy may marlene is that i don't it has like the opposite thing where it's sort of okay with you having whatever understanding of these people that you might need to Mm. but i know that other people here are more fans of the nest yeah yeah i mean the one time where i did have a similar thought was with that taxi driver scene and i that scene felt like until the very end which is a funny punchline it mostly it did feel like a little bit of like this is too much we get it like to have both the jude law uh explaining everything about his character and the two wise cab driver in the same scene uh that felt like a little too much but <laughs> that being said it's a movie that i really really like yeah uh, and i mean my but my issue with that scene is that i think it works in a movie where you don't already understand everything about its character so it's it's like if it was in a movie that was like incredibly subtle about what it was doing and there was like there was more moments of quiet and there was more moments of like unease and tension that I can see like that being like the blow up of like well mm-hmm. this is a guy who's like on his last legs and needs to explain it to somebody and this is what's happening but in a movie where that is like patently obvious from like the very first scene he's in I I was sort of like rolling my eyes in it and then like the ending of that scene and then the movie i think is really good so it sort of it sort of like loops back around to being very like a pretty good movie to me but i did have that throughout the middle of the nest where i'm like do we need all of these scenes that is interesting um to point out because there is a little bit of repetition and it's like it sounds like that might be somewhat of a character choice that uh, maybe not always works but like he does go through a lot of the same behaviors and when i watched it again i was caught by um in the first scene with carrie coon how she says oh this is the third uh house that Mm -hmm. we've lived in Mm -hmm. in this many times so it's like this is something that they've maybe gone through before um some of it i feel like the scenes function a little differently like i kind of love the scene with the mother not for the scene itself like as i'm watching it i don't think it gives you any information you don't already have or you haven't deduced but it's like it's the type of moment that in a movie has some type of result or a momentous like occasion or maybe you walk away learning something huge and you don't and like i think that that is really telling of what the purpose of this character is what uh like sean durkin is trying to get at thematically with the type of man he is trying to portray um yeah, yeah. I, mean, they're, they're, that's, that, I like the things that are atypical about this movie because they feel so intentional. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, so you're that, right about the repetition. <laughs> yes, that's true. That, I mean, that's what I sort of like. That's why the ending sort of saved it so much for me. I mean, because mm-hmm. like that's a sort of like weird, like not really like in any way satisfying note it ends on sort of does clarify that like thesis or whatever that it's like about a movie about like well this is what just like what marriages is are and this is gonna keep happening and these are just like sort of the cycles that these people are stuck on and you never really know like whether you're full you'll fully ever be out of it which made me understand what it was going for and like it a little bit more but i again it's like in the middle of it there was a lot of me just like tapping my forehead like what are we doing here what are we getting out of this yeah, I sort of feel like I was into the repetition and like the in the hitting the beat because I think like I sort of is the ending scene, I think, sort of clarifies for me that like the long game of the movie is basically like which of the two is going to blink first. Right. Mm-hmm. And which of the two is going to be like the one to be like, we have to stop this cycle. Like it's we like we've we you know, no matter how many like moments where like we an outside stimulus like should cause us to stop it or whatever, we just keep repeating the same beats over and over. And like I think the ending is like you see like finally it is Carrie Coon who decides like, no, we can't do this again. Like we can't do this anymore. We're like I'm putting I'm finally putting a stop to it this time. So like mm-hmm. I I feel like the the him like seeing him sort of like take all the like you see so i think felix you see so many opportunities for him to like really like realize like this isn't working like whatever he's trying to do he's never gonna make it work and like every single time he lets it pass by and he sort of just rejects it sort of out of hand and it really does take take his wife to be like no we're, we're stop like not 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 no more we're not doing this anymore and sort of that's like the the moment of of uh, the the tension breaks at the end uh, with when she's when she says that to him right if we're gonna start transitioning to talking more about the nest which is not to say that we can't go back to martha marcy marlene we should maybe talk about yeah kind of the interim of sean durkin's career a little bit which is that he doesn't he kind of just like mostly for nine years with the exception of this uh british tv show that i called south cliff that he directed uh four episodes it's a mini series that he directed all four episodes of i don't he doesn't really do anything else uh, is he british he is canadian yeah okay. i just looked up uh, he did some like producing of things and there were right, some yeah, projects that like either changed hands or oh yeah didn't he was happen on, was he on the marilyn monroe movie at one point he had a marilyn monroe movie i think his marilyn was nina arianda if i remember correctly okay. um that he also <laughs> if i the, uh, if I remember correctly, when they announced the Exorcist TV show, I believe he was attached, and that uh, he that mm. would have changed hands if if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean he he's got there's that little collective that's him and uh, Antonio Campos and Josh Mann. So he was producing movies some for them and some for other people with them uh, in that time. Uh, But yeah, and I remember, I guess even by the time I saw Martha Marcy May Marlene, probably even the reason I was so excited to see it was because, oh, he's 
I know that he has a movie in the can with uh, Carrie Coon, who is my favorite living actor. Uh, and so I remember all right. throughout 2019, like every any, film festival you would every predict. Film, yes, I was, even, <laughs> I was saying it like this is going to be the one where the nest finally shows up. It might have even... I can't remember if it was The Nest by then, because I know it was The Coup at one point, but that was uh, the name of the Owen Wilson movie that no one saw. Uh, but yeah, I definitely like, and I, I did, like, I remember at one point hearing that they had turned down directors Fortnite 2019 in the hopes that they could get into Venice competition which I guess then didn't happen. And then they were just like, all right, I guess we're waiting until Sundance. Yeah, because uh, it filmed uh, like two years ago now. Yeah, it was a little yeah. while ago. <laughs> it, it definitely could have run the gauntlet of being at a bunch of different places. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, it's yeah. not it's not fully surprising that uh, those more competitive festivals would have turned the movie down because it is right. kind of an odd little movie um you know it i mean it has the two big stars in it but it's like it's not really satisfying right. in a conventional <laughs> way mm-hmm. i mean like i know yeah. a lot of people who outright hate this movie right. Right. that's the thing yeah i remember like be being anticipatory because i'm also a big carrie coon fan and uh yeah the sundance reactions were real like either like best movie I saw at the festival or worst movie I saw at the festival. Yeah, or, like the or just like very muted because like the movie isn't very conventional in like the kind of rhythms that it has. And we talked a little bit about that, but like, um, yeah, even just like the tension of it, like it kind of takes mm-hmm. stepping outside of the movie once you've seen it to really get what he's doing tonally because it feels uh, less like on more of a simmer than it is in Martha Marcy May Marlene. But like there is this like mm-hmm. horror aesthetic that mm-hmm. he applies to this movie that feels like at any point this movie could become a ghost movie like this mansion could have mm-hmm. uh, like a bad history where there's ghosts in there now like it feels kind of like that but it's like the ghost is their marriage to like put it very (laughs) literally um right and then and then the horse yeah (laughs) and the horse could be the ghost um right yeah um yeah yeah, it is yeah it's i think yeah the 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 aesthetics yeah i i think you're right on there with the the real like sense of dread and everything and like what's what's going to happen and is there going to be like more to this movie and i also like i remember when that trailer first came out and like it was like that was a trailer that i you know having seen the movie like i don't blame them but like it's that that was a trailer that i didn't respond to really very much and i was like oh boy i'm a little worried about this but it's so hard to communicate like what the tone this movie is going for is and what and you know and you know and why why it is sort of the way it is uh until you see the whole thing and you still see everything happening in it but yeah my my initial reaction was yeah i was really anticipating especially yeah the carrie coon of it all but then i was really blown away by jude law in it like i was uh, jude law is an actor who i guess i i like i've seen him in a fair amount i saw him I remember my Jude Law story is that I saw him uh, when I, I when I was in college, I saw him do Hamlet on Broadway and uh, I did the stage door after because I was like, whatever, this seems fun. And everyone 
else in the stage door area was like yelling at him about how much they loved him in the holiday. And then like when he came to me, I like handed him my playbill and was like, I really liked you in Hamlet. And he was like, looked at me and like very sincerely was like, thank you very much. Because <laughs> it seemed like he was so glad that someone was actually talking about the play that he had just given like a three hour performance in or yeah. whatever. Um, so I've always had like a little bit of a soft spot for him from then. Uh, although that was also he like very infamously was like near an NYU freshman dorm during the run of that play. And I think like they were like catcalling him or something when he was on his balcony. And like he I, was he throwing something at the, I don't know. There was like a gossip around then. Oh, wow. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I liked him. I've liked him in things. But this is like, I think maybe my favorite performance of his I've ever seen. Uh, I think he's like as like and I also the other I didn't know it was a period piece going into it when I first saw uh, it um, and like the way he's able to play like that like such like 80s man uh-huh. like all all of the like it's the, the like, most chill 80s period piece you will ever see yeah. it does not <laughs> sure. lean into the 80s yes. I know it's just like it took like seeing like the Pepsi bottles or whatever and I was like oh I think like this is that's when this is um and yeah, his like the his like corporate whatever, all his all his business dealings and him yelling at his boss and stuff, all those scenes, I was like, wow, this is like the most captivated I've ever been by a Jude Aren't Law the, performance. Don't you see Pepsi by the time you're seeing 80s Pepsi bottles, hasn't there also been a scene at the beginning where they're like, Ronald Reagan is imposing blah 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 yeah. blah blah. <laughs> Maybe. Yes. I don't know. I've you know, it's it's all a blur, but like it, that's it, the that's the one real cue that it's yeah, in the in right. the 80s. Uh <laughs> yeah, I mean Jude Law's having this uh interesting kind of renaissance that i guess started it's like he's having this renaissance that started with the young pope and yet at the same time is continuing to just be in like awful uh blockbusters i mean uh i guess i he he's not that good in captain marvel i didn't see him play dumbledore because i was done with that by that point uh uh, but then, yeah, like he's also there's the the Pope shows and he does this and he does Vox Lux, which is terrible, but he's pretty good. He I think he's probably the best part of it. Uh, Hi, Colin. <laughs> our, our co-host not here to defend Vox Lux. Oh. From, from yes. Jesse. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then this year, the other thing he did was he had uh, the third day, which I watched the first episode of and thought he the was really day? good in. The third day is that uh, HBO show that did that I was going to watch. Right. The They did the like 12 hour live stream that I was like, ah, oh, that's right up my alley. But then it was during New York Film Festival. So there was no mm-hmm. way I was going to watch it. Uh, but yeah, uh, he I would say between that and the nest he's and i guess the new pope was this year too he's yeah, having he, this yeah he's in it a lot less i guess like, but yeah he had two hbo shows this year right. and also he's, yeah it's like none of those he's not getting a lot of attention for any of those but i think he is doing good work this year and then i'm also being reminded uh looking at his uh imdb page that last we heard about the new this thing francis ford coppola is uh supposed to be doing at some point it was going to be him and shia labeouf which sounds 
I'm here for them in a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I in terms of the performances, I would agree that he's very good in it. I still think that Carrie Coon is like pretty immense in it. And like, it's hard to beat her in any movie or, or project you're in. Uh, but yeah, and I actually, I think that some of the like, when you, when you were talking about unknowability, Emilio, I think that that is still in place in this movie, just not really with the Jude Law character. Like, I think there's definitely, like, I think of when uh, at the dinner party early on, uh, I, I think Jude Law had told her initially when he says, oh, we've got a move that he had gone to uh what's his name the the boss that he had worked with arthur something uh and been like oh i've got this great idea i want to work with you and then they're at the dinner party and the guy's like oh when i asked jude law to come back and you see her kind of mm-hmm. that slow push in on her face her. right that the yes. audio starts uh-huh. to drop but out. you never yeah. see her uh actually respond to it or confront mm-hmm. him about it uh and I think there's stuff like that with her character. And there's also stuff like that, like with the the kids, I think, where like they, I think it, I wouldn't expect a movie to necessarily, even though like they're never, they're certainly not like main characters or anything. I think it gives a lot of consideration to them. And they're like, they clearly have interior lives, even if you're, rarely uh privy to them yeah and it's interesting the way that the kids both reflect him as well because their son is this like incredibly sensitive uh like wounded Mm -hmm. boy and then their teenage daughter is like the one who's trying to like put on airs to keep up with everybody else um basically Mm -hmm. she's at Mm -hmm. that age where she's like trying to impress boys Mm -hmm. yeah i guess I guess even with I agree that Carrie Coon's character has like more there's like more to like think about and like try to dig into but I I think I just my problem with it even like now like sort of unpacking it more and appreciating more that it's like this movie about repetition and that these things are happening I think I would appreciate like those sorts of like that sort of strategy in a movie that was about something that isn't as like over covered in films and other forms of media as like the disillusion of a marriage where it's like you can where in my mind I can see all well like oh the teenage daughter is gonna be rebellious and the kid's gonna be like daddy why don't you love me and then the and the dad is gonna be like I want money and I'm gonna do the things for money and I and, the, and then the wife is like why don't you take care of your kids it's like I appreciate the like the the like approach a lot, but I think it applied to it's it's applied to something that I from like minute one I feel like oh no I get it and then was expecting something to sh- shift and sort is like dramatically in some way that I could be like huh okay so this is what he's saying and then instead it just sort of like sort of locks into that and I get and I guess that some people appreciate that sort of thing about it because it's sort of like maybe taking a deeper dive in it and like trying to have that trying to like show this sort of movie in a way that's not just not just like dramatic and screamy 
but it i think it's also sort of dramatic and screamy so it's like i don't even get that from it and it's like i don't know maybe like not to give too much insight into my own personal life there's maybe (laughs) there is maybe like some like reading of my parents within it that i'm just like oh yeah i get this dynamic immediately let's see where this goes (laughs) (laughs) that i that maybe like soured me on like the whole experience but uh (laughs) i don't i mean i just i guess i just don't know it it's like i can't go i can't say anything else but except for going back to it felt obvious to me and it's like I could appreciate the performances, but even Jude Law, I was like, okay, so this is a Jude Law type. He looks handsome and he looks charming, but he's really an asshole. That's like what the young Pope is. That's like what talented Mr. Ripley is. He's done that a million times. And Carrie Coon is like, she's, uh, I'm a slightly less familiar with her work. So I was like very intrigued to see what she was doing. But even then I was like, okay, so she's like pissed off at him because he's being a dickhead. Okay. <laughs> I think what maybe does, and you were saying that you, you you do like the ending, and I think that is what ultimately justifies telling this story that has been told a lot for me, is I think it does reach this really interesting place of, like, clearly this doesn't work, and there it seems like they're just maybe getting to this point of like, maybe we can start to look at each other as people less Jude Law and Carrie Coon with each other, but more uh, like, it's not clear that there's necessarily any breakthrough there, but it does feel like, okay, this, this isn't working, but this is a family and like, we're going to have to figure something out. I I feel like the note that it leaves on, I do really like. Yeah. I think her, the way her story leads up to the ending, I think is also like, that's, I think the best stretch of the movie for her. uh, When she like, she leaves the dinner, she gets, she gives the fur coat away. Um, she goes that, and gets drunk and dances right, to and disco. Dances, yeah, right. And then like ends up at home and is like, yeah, like and then and then she has to go like check on the horse because the horse has be, been rising from the <laughs> from the ground. And yes. she like has her like emotional reaction to to like seeing the horse come up from the ground and then and then you know and then the ending happens. Um yeah, that whole ending sequence I think is really a mm-hmm. wonderful stretch for her in the movie and boy yeah um yeah that coat the coat really caught me the first time because it's like that coat is really ugly yeah it looks <laughs> even really... for an 80s fur coat it <laughs> yeah. is yeah, not coat. you can tell that he like bought it probably because it was expensive not mm-hmm. because he like has good taste or whatever right. and it looks incredibly mm-hmm. alien on her body like she doesn't yes. want to wear it it's not her taste yeah, yeah. i mean it's like to like to speak positively about the movie who did like the production design and costuming for this movie that person did the best job i've seen in the movie mm-hmm. in a long time like just like how i think the house does like a better subtler mm. like a more interesting job to communicate like oh this is like somebody who's trying very hard's idea of like what being rich is more than like mm-hmm. anything that jude law does in it and i think mm-hmm. like the cost like his costuming and her costuming are also very like 
like portray that in very interesting ways the schools the the kids school uniforms are very good examples of that just like the way that things are laid out and it being sort of like 80s but not in your face it is like another element of Mm -hmm. that of just like it's not trying that hard to be a period piece or like it's it's like it's like very relatable despite being like in a period piece which is a problem i often have with period pieces which is like you you sort of have to extend some remove to it but this movie tries not to it's just telling a very specific story Mm-hmm. yeah and i guess yeah the i the house yeah i agree is like it's so like you really do get the sense that like the house is like swallowing them up right when yes. they're when they're there and it, like just like how huge it is and like how unwieldy it is and how much jude law's like uh, reach has extended his grasp and like he like is aiming so high and like it's clear like this is not what anyone wants Right. Mm-hmm. No one and no one wants this, but like he's doing it because he has to and he feels like he has to and like he's going to commit to it and not ever really admit that like even he doesn't really want it or like it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And just like when they're out, like seeing that other apartment uh, where he, when he's trying to be right. like, oh, yeah, we're going to buy this apartment. This place looks great. And then she's just like, we can't afford this. What the fuck are you right. talking about? You have $600 in checking. Like, that's the mm-hmm. one. <laughs> you couldn't afford to build a house for my horse. What are you, why are we doing here? And it's just like, yes. That that's another great piece of scenery. It, I, I mean, it's it's very it's a very accomplished movie visually. I'll tell you about it. I, there's also a couple of shots in it that maybe like, oh, this is like, great yeah. like Durkin knows what he's doing uh, yeah. here I, I think my problems with the movie are very specifically in the script and I think what I mm-hmm. was talking about like with Marcel and Marcy May Marlene where that's a movie that gives its actors space to work with and and it's like you know what every scene doesn't need to be like people clearly explaining what needs to happen or what's happening here I think it, it like gives its actors the leeway to do whatever it wants and I think that's my problem with the Nets where it's like I want to see what Carrie Coon does with this character, but instead, every I feel like every scene with her, especially at the beginning, it's like it's just like very typical stuff that she needs to be out there laying out exactly how she feels at every time, and I find that less interesting than what Marcia Marthy May Marlene is doing. Like I think at the yeah. end of the day, I still think they're good performances given by great actors, but I would take the Olsen performance over either of them, like in a heartbeat. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I do like Martha Marcy May Marlene better. Ultimately, I do think the nest is the step up there for Durkin is like is in the visual area. Like, mm-hmm. I do feel like the the like just like the cinematography, the costumes, the production design, all that in the nest is like a clear like, oh, wow, you've really like grown a lot in, in your storytelling in this area. Not that any of that's like super bad in, in Martha Marcy May Marlene, but like you see the growth there. But I do. Yeah, I think the script and the and the characters and the, and the storytelling is is a little bit more interesting in, in Martha, Marcy, and Marlene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Was there anything else in Martha, Marcy, May that we want to talk about? We, I feel like we, we didn't really talk about John sure. Hawks and his performance is so incredible. And um, mm-hmm. it came right after, and that was part of the, like, it felt like it was going to be winter's bone too. Basically. I like the right. Sundance emergence of like this new young star, um, with John Hawks there, but it's an incredibly mm-hmm. different performance than what he did in, uh, winter's bone. And then would go on to do in the sessions and other things. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really get the credit for being such a 
versatile performer, but mm-hmm. like that performance specifically, I think is really, really interesting and still surprising when you rewatch it because he's not the type of actor you would think of that could uh, terrify you basically, mm-hmm. but like yeah. he is so commanding and believable as this charismatic leader who also is incredibly abusive. Um, Mm -hmm. but that he can also hold this like psychological domain over all of these people and wield Mm -hmm. it in a way that's so terrifying. Um, yeah, it just always rings as like uh, surprising and unexpected from him yeah. in the times I mean, that I've watched it. I mean, John Hawks is like the best. We talked about him like a couple of weeks ago when in me and you and everyone we know, which is like obviously a very like a oh, very yeah. different performance. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so sure. it's just like yeah, that is a good point about him. He's like he has range, and he's like mm-hmm. is very good at in, in a lot of different like directions because you look at like Deadwood and me and you and everyone right. we know and he's playing sort of a more like gregarious funny person which is like what he is in my mind but then yeah you think about marcel Martine marlene and how just how scary he is and how he is like sort of charismatic but not in like a sort of traditional way you, you just like yeah. sort of see how this guy could come to control a lot of people he's like one of the best and it's because yeah. it's also like you imagine like cult leader in your head and you and it's like you either picture somebody very crazy looking or somebody very handsome and he's sort of neither and sort of both in such a like fascinating mm-hmm. way for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I've really yeah, I've done a lot of John Hogg because I watched Deadwood this year uh, for the first time. And then uh, I yeah, we watched um, uh, me and you and then we watched this. I do always remember like him weirdly popping up in the last season of Lost and they like really wasted yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which was always a bummer. And then like it, the mm-hmm. timeline gets confused in my head because like his like like awardsy acting attention didn't happen until after that. But for some reason I always think it was like after all that stuff for some reason. But right. um but yeah, he's really good in in the movie. Yeah, I yeah, just yeah. When he's uh, the scene where he like sings the song, I think is like really good. Uh, And especially because in contrast to like the earlier scene where they're like doing that other like weird musical thing. And then like he sings this song and it's like creepy and foreboding. But you can also see like why someone would be attracted to it and like really connect to it and like how he's using it to control these people. Uh, yeah, he, it's a really good performance, I think. Yeah, yeah maybe my, what, my standout in the movie. You know what John Hawks is really good in that is an absolutely nothing movie is that is Everest. I remember him being really good <laughs> in that movie uh, playing. What was he playing? He was playing like a doctor or something. And he was he was the guy who was like, you shouldn't be here. Uh, you're you're. <laughs> not going to be able to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> he's, he's really good in that. But yeah, like he's also been like wasted in a lot of things like like the big like obviously lost. And then there's the like, what is he doing in three billboards? Why did why is he in Jesus, that I forgot he was in that movie. You what forget is he, is he like, like one all of the, the like sheriffs or something. No, he's her ex. He's her ex. Yeah, yeah oh. he's her abusive ex. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Great. I mean, that's a movie where it's like 
I was going to say no shots to Martin McDonough, but a little shots to Martin McDonough mm-hmm. that I'm sure he so, some like casting director like just showed him pictures and he was like, oh, yeah, these guys look <laughs> like they would be in this sort of movie. And he just like picked them at random without knowing what they really do. Because there's a lot of people who are like, why did you say yes to being this? What, like, what is this character you're playing? And they're just in it like Abby right. Cornish also. Oh, boy. Well, Abby Cornish, she'd worked with before because she's one of the seven psychopaths. One of the a seven. lot of the people in that movie he's worked with before is the seven. Right. <laughs> yes. You've got, is it just three of the psychopaths? I think that's right. I don't think we need to go into a I seven psychopath. Seven psychopaths, my favorite movie right. when I was 16. <laughs> Boy. I mean, I yeah. can see that. The best movie, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, any yeah. other parts of either movie that we want to highlight? Yeah, um, the way that Carrie Coon holds a water—not uh, a water bottle, a wine bottle—the way Carrie Coon holds mm, a cigarette, mm-hmm. the way Carrie Coon's face catches the light looking out of a window, mm-hmm. the way yeah. Carrie Coon uh, mourns a horse, Carrie right. Coon. <laughs> Carrie Coon. She's great. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Wait, Coon. Her, yeah. Her in the car with like, she has both a cigarette and like a cup of coffee and is driving <laughs> at the same time and is like occasionally holding the cigarette outside the window and like all her, her coordinating all that business. And then also her with the horses. She like yes. is really good with the horses, mm-hmm. which is like, that seems like a really hard skill for an actor yeah. to develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that seems very, I mean, the two images I have of her in the movie burned in my brain, one of them because it's very good and the other one because it's, I found it just like weirdly hilarious. I think the one that very good is her dancing in that club because it's yes. like she's, she's dancing this is like an incredible feat as an actor of like she's seem she's dancing well but not too well but also sort of manically in a way that's like some choreographer didn't come to her and tell her like these very specific moves but she just figured out like where this mm-hmm. character would be emotionally and what she would be doing to this music and she is like very good when she's dancing. What is that. her history of dancing in bars? <laughs> what type of music does she like to dance to? <laughs> yeah. I also love when she first gets into the bar and she gets her first drink before we see her drunk and dancing. Like you can tell that like when she sips it, she wants to just down the whole drink in one yes. go. Mm-hmm. And she like l- kind of looks like maybe someone might see her and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we yeah. know how the rest of the night goes because we saw yes. the dancing. Yes. Yeah. For mentioned dancing. And yeah. I think, is it? No, if it's, I think it's slightly before that when you're like walk. No, I think it's after that, like when she's walking to the horse who's grown up and she's like carrying her son. And, and, oh, yeah. I, I couldn't think of my like, isn't he like a little too old to be carried like right. that? It's where it's like, <laughs> this kid seems like 12 years old. I don't know if I. Right. And then, <laughs> well, and like, yeah. And the relationship with the son is interesting because like also they're not they each had had a kid. Right. And then they got married. Mm, I think no, is the, I think the son is their no, kid. The, yeah. is their, the daughter right. is just hers. Sure. Yes. But then, but the, like, the whole thing throughout the movie is like, he is like trying to grow up and like, he asked her to stop using like his pet nickname or whatever mm-hmm. and all that. And then, like, by the end, it's totally like she's like carrying him like a, ch- like a, like mm-hmm. he's still like a toddler or whatever. Yes. So, yeah. That, uh-huh. like, a good moment, I think. But yeah, it was just a funny image of her holding yes. like a, like, 
fully four foot, almost five foot something person just like walk yeah. into a field to hug to hug a dead horse or whatever. Yes. <laughs> I mean that seems also good. It's like I, I mean I agree with Andy that the, her best section is like that little ending section of just like they're like mm-hmm. spat heading to her going to the bar to then her like arriving home and reacting to everything that happened the restaurant scene too um which when i watched it again i remembered it being way later in the movie because it's so uh like momentous the way that she just cuts him down to size where she's ordering the food she does what she can to embarrass him by like drinking straight out of the bottle of wine Mm -hmm. um that scene's incredible too right and yeah, and the way that one echoes back to the the party earlier, where she like gets offended because she's like introduced as like Mrs. Whatever his Charlie mm-hmm. or whatever his mm-hmm. name. Is. Yeah, the, I think the way that like she's like, okay, I've had enough. By the time the, right. that dinner party scene comes around, it's good. Yeah, I mean that scene is good because it's like them playing all of their like the it's them playing all of the movies chess moves and like three minutes where it's like her being like you need to stop wasting our money and he's like you gotta trust me and he's like and she's like uh but you're a poor person who just wants to be rich and then he's like well you were poor before i met you and then being like well fuck you i'm just gonna drink this bottle of wine and then just like hitting all of those points in- instantly so i was very into that when she just like drinks the bottle of wine and she's like oh yeah we'll have this it's just yes. like it's a good bit it's a good dynamic like them playing off of each other it's good in that yeah. scene yeah, I mean, in terms of the other thing I think about when I think about uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene that maybe we should pay a little bit of lip service to, even though I know you've talked about this, Chris, uh, on your podcast, is since we've been talking about how great Elizabeth Olsen is, just the historic fuck up that is uh, the 2011 Best Actress category. Oh, where boy. like. Yeah, you have you have so many like I guess she's like less she's more like up and coming, but you have so many like great actresses in great movies that they just ignore. And it's just it's so baffling that you have like her and you have Tilda Swinton and we need to talk about Kevin and you have Kirsten Dunst and Melancholia. And then, like, Anna Paquin was never going to get anything for Margaret, I guess, even though that's the best movie of that year. Uh, but, like, that, like, none of those people could get, like, could be fit in is just bananas. Well, and also the fact that, like, you say that there are great actresses in great films. Instead, the Oscars went for a lot of great actresses in terrible right. films. And yes. Best actress. Um or, or uh, you know, even uh, great actresses giving uh, momentously terrible performances like <laughs> the winner. Yeah. And listen, sometimes you have to make space for Albert Knobs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some knobs on your shelf. Boy. Yeah, someday I'll make us do our uh, Rodrigo Garcia episode and we'll figure out what's going on with that career. <laughs> we'll figure out what's knobbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway is it time to wrap up yeah 
Well, I guess I, I do have one more question for Chris as like the, uh, our, you know, the, this had Oscar buzz awards the expert. Do you do you see the nest getting any traction in this weird year in anything? Like I, I mean, imagine it's Indie Spirits, such a weird right? year, um, yeah. especially because the Oscars are so late that it's like mm-hmm. right right now. Uh, God, what would the timeline be? I guess we're still two, three months out from nominations. So you figure now is like right. when festivals would be ending. Um, right. The thing that doesn't really give me hope for Carrie Coon, though, she'll be uh, she's she'll be who I'm voting for in uh, the mm-hmm. organizations I'm in. Um, at least as of now, she's she's my top choice. Um My thing is that it is distributed by IFC. IFC does not have a huge uh, Oscar pedigree behind them. Like Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of getting nominations, there really haven't been many that they've pulled off. And uh, usually when they do, there's a kind of loud unanimous support um, Mm -hmm. for people like Charlotte Rampling, uh, movies like Boyhood. Uh, So I think it would, probably take a considerable amount of support from critics groups to help like put some noise behind the movie um but i'm unfortunately not holding a nomination yeah one would think would at least farewell for indie spirits maybe but yeah that's that's probably that was my thought like Like, this movie just screams indie spirit awards it's just like gonna get like five nominations over there and i don't think it's gonna get traction anywhere else which is like good because it's like arguably an organization with a better track record but uh even in a year where we don't have movie theaters and a lot less movies, it's still going to be hard to get yeah. uh, the Academy to watch this movie. Yes. Yeah. Did the Indie Spirits move their calendar too? They I did. Should know. I, they I, did. Okay. Yeah, because they you're not going to have the organization that puts on their show right, the, the day, day before. before right, the not do well, it and there's the whole like apparatus of like studios, publicists, uh, like right. the the right. whole like financial wheel of the industry. <laughs> um, yeah, moving too. So like everybody's yeah, right. gonna the only, yeah. The only fall people in line. who are gonna not move are the people are the critics groups who are being like fuck you. Right. Yeah. I mean, Uh, if there was ever a year to space them out, though, it would be right now to just not have it be like, sure, sure, all of these famous people are going to be at the same places for like two weeks straight. That's a, that's a healthy way to operate <laughs> through all of this. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. And, and in the week where like the Academy was like, we're definitely doing it in person. Well, yeah, yes. we'll see about that. Yeah. I mean, technically um, speaking, like the MTV uh, VMAs were scare quotes in person, you know, like it could be yeah. like that, which if that's what it's going to be, I'd rather. And I mean, there was a portion of the Emmys that were right. in person, too. So it's like it'll probably be truly more of a hybrid. Yeah. Um, I mean, in person, we'll it's like they will they will wheel out an iPad in front of a podium to give a speech. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe they'll like use. We'll have like hologram technology that was on like (laughs) CNN like 10 years ago. They'll like finally (laughs) haul that back out for the Oscars. And now here to present the award for best original screenplay, Robert Kardashian. Yeah, you'll see someone in a hazmat suit outside of Aaron Sorkin's (laughs) home. Right. I mean, they can be in person all they want. Like, it's you can't like fly in the uh, international feature uh, directors. Certainly, correct. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, they can come here. It's just they may have a hard time getting back home. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Does he? Yeah, do you, how? How? How much do you think you're gonna win? Like, is yeah. it worth sacrificing seeing your family for six months for to mm-hmm. accept your Oscar in first? And, and Best International Feature is five French Canadian movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was right. so convinced that uh, Michelle Franco's movie was gonna win that until Mexico didn't pick it. Listen. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we sh- we should wrap up. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for um, having me. This was so yeah. fun. Thanks. Yeah. I uh, love we, both we, of these yeah. movies, so I was more than happy to talk mm-hmm. about them. Oh yeah, absolutely. What do you got to plug besides the wonderful this at Oscar Buzz podcast? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Chris V File. That's F E I L. Uh, if I have any uh, work, I will be posting it there. Right. All right. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh can i kick it you can follow us on letterboxd at c-i-k-i pod uh you can follow me on either of those platforms at uh jp glick weber weber has two b's i have not mapped out a new ridiculous plug bit uh so let's move on yep (laughs) Uh, great uh my name's andy you can find me online at andy t germ g-e-r-m uh on whichever social media platforms you fancy to find me on primarily twitter and letterboxd there's not much to find on the other ones uh that's all i got emilio uh you can follow our co-host colin at at clatchley on twitter and (laughs) letterboxd and in spirit of him i am going to plug a movie that i watched and like and (laughs) white men can't jump it's a fun movie sorry fun people you should watch it you can follow me you know what i'm gonna do you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna call my shot Next week, I'm going to plug How To with John Wilson, which I haven't watched yet. Great. But next week, I will have seen it and loved it, and I'm going to plug it. Great. I mean, excited job. for that for you. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at I'm Laugh Alone. You can follow me on Letterboxd at I Laugh Alone. Our theme song is by Tree Related. You can find them at SoundCloud.com. SoundCloud.com slash Tree Related or search Tree Related on Spotify. Thank you very much for listening. All right, and I can go ahead and release our audience. Bye bye. Bye bye. Dolan et tant d'autres.